this morning we're going to continue uh, on a series that I've been on for a few weeks now and uh, calling it Armed and Dangerous. And, uh, you know, as I've been uh, going back and studying over some of these things and kind of, you know, you know, it's like anything else. If you don't use it very often or if you don't kind of be my, you'll lose some of the the uh, the benefit and the blessing sometimes, and that's very true when it comes to Scripture. And so, even just going and, and really preparing for this series, uh, you know, has really been beneficial even for me, just because there's some things that I've not remembered or kind of let go of in some things. And so, uh, you know, but this is what I know. If we will do what we're talking about, do you realize that the enemy cannot defeat you? Now, it doesn't mean that attacks won't come. I'll remind you of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Nebuchadnezzar threw them into a furnace, and yet they walked around in it, and when they came out, it said they didn't even smell like smoke. They still had to walk through the furnace, but they were walking around, and the conditions didn't affect them the way that they should have. So things can happen in life, but when we really walk in light of Scripture, and we have an understanding of the way the enemy works, and also the tools that we've been given, I'm absolutely convinced that we can stand, and let me say it this way, is that we can withstand any attack. You know, if you go down to Florida, they build homes differently than we build homes here. Why? Because they have hurricanes, you know. And so what? They're built to withstand the force of water and wind at a much greater level than we build here. Why? Because they understand the conditions in which they live. They don't use a lot of wood in the construction of their home. Why? Because it's super humid and there's termites and bugs and all kinds. And they realize... Our house may get wet, and so they build a lot out of cinder block. And so they understand the conditions they live in, therefore they live a certain way, and they build a certain way. Well, the same is true for us. Uh, Even when it comes to the enemy and the way the enemy works is that we have to be mindful of Scripture. How many of you realize that Scripture is not a suggestion? Right? Scripture is commands, and it's instruction, and it's wisdom, and it's life to us. It's not just kind of, hey, if you feel like it today... This is what the Bible is, God's way of living successfully. And if we live according to Scripture, we can have everything that God says we can have. And so over the last uh, several weeks, we've been looking, and, and really the, whole, uh, the focus of this series is really two passages of Scripture, and we'll look at both of them this morning. Uh, this all started from one verse in Psalms, and then uh, as I just, you know, I don't know if it ever happens to you, but sometimes I read Scripture and a verse just really sticks out. And then it just sticks with me and I just keep thinking about it. And, uh, you know, and so that's what happened with this one particular verse here in uh, Psalms. And so let's just go ahead and read this. I will say it's over in Psalms 144. You can go ahead and turn over there if you have your Bibles this morning. Psalms 144. We're going to read a verse here together this morning. But one thing I will say, uh, if you happen to not be here for the previous couple of weeks, I would encourage you to get on our podcast. You're like, well, I don't know what a podcast is. It's every sermon that I have. Actually, almost it's almost every sermon that I've preached since I've been here. Uh, it's upwards of 150 sermons that you can download for free onto your, your phone, your computer, whatever it may be. Go to our website, northpointeldo.org, and you can download them. Uh, even if you were here and you're like, I'd like to re-listen to that. It's all there for free. If you like, I don't do all that technology stuff. Can I get it on CD? Absolutely. You can see the people out there. The book nook, and they can get you one order, and we will step back in time to go with some old technology. And, uh, but, you know, hey, old technology still works if your car has a CD player in it. But, uh, 
Mine still does. But, uh, so those are available, and I would encourage you to, uh, to really take advantage of that. Um, you know, because listening to me share something with you one time, I know that uh, even what I was talking about in preparation, uh, you know, listening to something for an hour is one thing. Or 45 minutes or however long we're here and whatever I'm sharing with you. But there's something different when you go back to it and you feed upon it and you listen to it time and time again. Um, you know, one of the reasons that, um, and I've had people make statements like, how are you so confident when you speak about the Word of God? Because I've spent hours in this. You know, I didn't just wake up this morning and pull something out of a hat and say, hey, let's see what's good this morning. Uh, you know, I, there's been time that I'm asking the Holy Spirit to, to show me things and to speak to me and to share wisdom. And the same thing is true for you. It's not just because I'm a preacher. Uh, God will do the same thing for you. And there are things, and you know, I mean, there's messages I've probably listened to, different messages that have spoken a dozen times, 15 times. Uh, I have a message, I kind of talking about old technology. My dad has a tape from Lester Summerall, or had a tape from Lester Summerall. Some of you know who he is. He's an older gentleman who's gone on to be with the Lord. He's a phenomenal man of God. But he had this tape, and he is called I Did Not Quit. And so at the, towards the Later in his life, I'll say it that way, they had asked him, uh, at a, it was at a pastor's conference, of course, he was a minister, and they asked him, you know, and he's this, you know, he traveled all over the world and did all this stuff, you know, 60, 70 years ago, and um, they asked him, they were, you know, the question was, is, hey, you know, what was the main thing that, uh, that really do you believe God used that, uh, you know, has enabled you to do all of this? And they were expecting some great deep theological answer, you know, from this great man of God, and he just said, I did not quit. He said, I just didn't quit. And so anyhow, my dad had this on cassette. And so for years and years and years, my dad travels for business. And so he drives a lot. And so he had this cassette tape. And he had wore it out. He bought, like he had a bunch of them. He said, and he told me, he said, I'm down to my last one. And uh, I mean, he would just leave it and just let it play. Because when you're in sales, sometimes it can be discouraging. Especially when you're following the oil field around. And, uh, you know, because it's got this all the time. And, um. so anyhow, so one day I took that cassette and I told my dad, and he said, it's about shot. He goes, it really, he had it in his console. It was all old. And I said, Dad, I could put that on a CD for you. He was like, really? You know, my dad's amazed by technology. And uh, he was like, oh my gosh, I didn't know that was possible. And I said, yeah, I can put it on a CD and make it for you. So then I made it and put it on a CD. He started listening to it again. Well, then I have listened to that many times. I get discouraged. And what? I'm going to go back and listen to somebody who says, look, you'll make it if you just don't quit. And, uh, you know, and it's really his story. And just over, and I can't tell you how many times I've listened to that uh, message. And it's, you know, and, and so many times, it, why? Because there's application that has to be had with this. And sometimes we have to remind ourselves of what Scripture has said. And even things that God has stirred in us, don't forget and don't let go of them just because we're not focused. And so I just say that because I want, I mean, I don't say a whole lot about it, but, um, you know, but it is important. There's more to your applying this than just listening to the words I'm about to say. There's going to have to be some investment on your part. And I believe that even as you'll spend that time, it's a seed in the spirit, but I also believe it's something that the Holy Spirit will honor in your life. And he'll begin to speak to you about specific things. You know, a lot of times as a, as a preacher, what I believe happens, um, I don't know why I'm saying all this, but here we go. Um, but I believe this is what happens, is that many times I will share the word in generic terms where it applies to many people. And then if you'll apply yourself to it, the Holy Spirit will take that same word and start speaking to you specifically for your life and how that applies. And even how to go about it in your life specifically to you, to your situation, to your circumstances where it's very targeted. That's not my responsibility to do that. That's the Holy Spirit's job. 
And so we have to cooperate with him in that. And so even, you know, as I'm talking about uh, this series and talking about being armed and dangerous, because some of you are armed, but you're not very dangerous. Because you don't really know what you have, even though it's there. Now, you can be armed and dangerous. And that's the goal. But you're going to have to apply these things into your life and to be mindful of them uh, on a very regular basis. Why? Because we have an enemy. And so the verse that, I, that uh, really started this whole series in my heart, kind of the launching point, was this. Psalms 144 verse 1. It says, Praise the Lord who is my rock. He's our firm foundation. I love this. In the second part of the verse, he says, He trains my hands for war and he gives my fingers skills for battle. We are in a war. We are in a fight. The Bible says, and we'll look at this here in a moment in Ephesians 6. We are in a fight. We have an enemy. There's no doubt about that. If you're denying that there is evil at work in the world today. Have you looked at the news lately? I mean, you know, there's innocent people being killed every day all around the world for senseless reasons. Just because they were in the wrong place at the wrong time. No rhyme, no reason. I mean, we just had that in the UK where, you know. They were at some concert and some guy has a a bomb and just detonated it as everybody's leaving. That's evil. Like that's not just somebody who's deranged. That's evil. And we have that even in our own nation. We have that in, you know, in every part of the world. There's no one exempt from that. And so we have an enemy. You know, but here's the good news is, and I I think it's interesting the, the words even that he uses here. I'm kind of particular about words, but he says he trains my hands for war. God didn't just say, hey, or, you know, the, the psalmist didn't write and say, hey, God just prepared me and made me ready to fight. He said, he's going to train me like a boxer. In other words, I'm going to grow in my understanding of how to do these things. And this is true even for us in a spiritual sense is that God will help mature us and grow us so that what? We can be more effective in our uh, fight against the enemy. Now, I understand there's a finished work of Christ. And I understand that salvation is secure. But if you're going to experience all of that salvation that Christ made available, you're going to have to fight. It's not going to become just by laid back. He's prepared your hands for war for a reason. Because we're in a war. We're in, fight. We're in a fight. And so turn with me over to uh, Ephesians chapter 6. And this is really the main body of the text that we've been looking at over the uh, last couple of weeks. But here in Ephesians chapter 6 and in verse 10, the apostle writes to the church and says, A final word, be strong in the Lord. And in his mighty power. He says, put on all of God's armor. Put on. Put it on. Put it on like a shirt. Put it on like your pants. You got dressed this morning. You didn't just get out of bed with whatever clothes you got on right now. You had to go make a decision that I'm going to put some clothes on today. Thank you. Praise the Lord. You had to make that decision. I'm going to get up and I'm going to not just... Hang out my PJs all day today. You had to make that. Well, here he says, put on all of God's armor. And here's the reason. So that you'll be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the enemy. That verse is why I say if we'll do what, this, what, what Paul is writing here to us, the enemy cannot defeat us. Doesn't mean that things aren't going to happen. Doesn't mean that we may not even lose a battle here or there. But it doesn't mean I have to lose the war. And just because I I maybe fall one time doesn't mean I stop. No, Proverbs says the righteous get up time and time again. It says though they fall, they get back up. And I have an understanding. I mean, you know, even this, I mean, just a thought. You're like, well, I don't like all this, you know, 
Doom and gloom stuff. Jesus was perfect, was he not? Did the devil attack him? So that even says that, hey, it's not always just a result of my choices, although I acknowledge sometimes we do things that get us in a bad spot. Repent, ask the Lord to forgive you, and move on. But there are times when the enemy comes and the enemy's at work. And that's why this is so important for us. So he says, put on the whole armor of God that you'll be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. Verse 12, for we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in the dark, or against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. So there's different levels of even demonic power that he's really pointing out here. And he says, so because you've got an enemy, that's what therefore means. Because of what I just said, do this. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor. Not some, not don't pick and choose. You need to be fully outfitted for the battle. He says, put on every piece of God's armor that you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. So if the Bible says that you can, you can resist. You can. It is possible to resist the devil. You may say, well, he overcame me and and I just gave, you gave in. You have the ability to resist. The Bible says if you resist the devil, he will flee. One translation says, if you will resist him, he will run and start terror. He's afraid when we stand up. He's just hoping that we don't. It goes on in the second part of verse 13 and it says, Then after the battle you will still be standing firm. Verse 14, he says, Stand your ground. Don't back off. Stand your ground. Stick with it. He says, Putting on the belt of truth. We've looked at this one. Really, that's in a measure of the word of God in our life and it's really in our heart. It says in the second one, it's the body armor of God's righteousness. We looked at this last week. It's who we are in Christ. You know, and so, and that's important. And we need to know that. That's, that's foundational. You know, I think it's very interesting that Paul, the way that he, and really by unction of the Holy Spirit, lays this out. The first elements that he says are, are totally foundational. You've got to know that Scripture and the Word of God is true. You've got to, you know, and you've got to walk in it. You've got to understand what that means for you is that you are now made righteous. In other words, you've been brought to peace with God. God is not mad at you. He is not angry with you. He's not looking to settle a score with you. It was settled in Christ. So God is not holding out something to get you. No, the Bible says we are the righteous of Christ right now. And so we've been brought to peace uh, with God. He's not angry. We, accounts have been settled. We are square with God. And it's important that we know that because why? The enemy will come and attack that part of your life to get you to doubt. Well, did God really mean that you were okay with him or or are you really going to get there? And he's going to be like, well, I know that's what I said, but let me bring up some dirt to you. Even if he did, Christ would be sitting right there saying, no, I paid for that. Now, God would never do that, but, but that's what righteousness is. Now in verse 15, this is what we're going to look at this morning. He says, For shoes put on the peace that comes from the good news, so that you will be fully prepared. Put on shoes so that you have what? Footwear. I mean, can you imagine a football player? I mean, how many of you like football? How many of you dislike football? I got a few. You'll still get the illustration. Can you imagine going to play football though? With a helmet and shoulder pads and thigh pads and all this stuff and not wearing any shoes. It ain't going to take long before your foot gets broke. Why? Because somebody else with shoes that are cleats is going to step on your toe and break it. 
you forgot a pretty important part. You know, I, I mean, one time I, I messed up my ankle pretty good. And, you know, and here's the thing. Many times you don't realize how much you use something until you hurt it. And then you're like, oh, my goodness. You know, I, I mean, it's just a little something. But yet you realize every time I move, every time I do this, every time I, I move in a direction that it hurts. And here he says that we are to put on shoes and he says to put on the peace that comes from the good news so that we will be fully prepared. So in other words, if you don't have peace, you're not fully prepared and you're not ready for battle. You can have everything else in place, but you better have some shoes. Now I'm going to give you some, uh, let me give you a couple of uh, other translations of verse 15 here. The New King James says it this way, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. So that word shod simply means to tie, to bind tightly. To fix, um, you know, to your feet. And it says also that there's preparation. In other words, it's a process. We're going to learn how to walk in peace. The Amplified says it this way. It says, having strapped on your feet the gospel of peace in preparation to face the enemy with firm-footed stability and the readiness produced by the good news. Now, really, this word and really the, the terminology here, it's actually twofold. And we're really going to focus on one side of it uh, because the other one, you'll understand, but I can go more in depth later. The first part of this, is, as it says here, is that um, the King James says that uh, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, that's really number one application is to share your faith. In other words, why do you believe in God? Why do you believe in Jesus? If somebody were to ask you, could you tell them? So we need to be fully ready at all times to what? Share the gospel. To share about Christ. This is why I believe in Jesus. This is why I live for God. This is why I make decisions. This is why I make sacrifices. This is why I go to church. This is, this is why I do these things. And we need to ever be ready to give an account for that to other people. Why? Because how else are they going to know unless they're told? That God still heals, that God still works, that God restores marriages, that God has invested in your kids, that God has invested in you, and that God wants to bring about His good purpose. Well, we can encourage other people around us, and we influence that that way. But there's another element of this, and so, and, I, and this is really what we're going to kind of focus on and look at this morning, is that last week we talked about having peace with God. Righteousness made us at peace with God. This week... We're going to look at it, and it's just a, it's one word changes, is that we have the peace of God. So we, so we were made right with God, but now it goes a step further. Now we have the peace of God, which is very different. And so even as it talks about here in the Amplified in verse 15, it says that uh, we need to have our, our boots strapped on. You know, I mean, we get these pictures because we see them in movies where these guys have like, you know, they look like, what do they call those shoes girls wear gladiator sandals? You know, it's like a glorified flip-flop, like with some strapping comes up the leg. And we think that's what Roman soldiers wore. No, it wasn't at all. It was actually a, a highly detailed and um, fashioned piece of equipment that protected their foot from every side. And not only protected their foot, it came all the way up. It's actually more like a, a shin guard. It came all the way up from here and went down. So it covered from here to the tops of their toe, underneath their, all the way to the backside of their heel, and it was fastened tightly, and it was actually a combination of brass and leather. And so, you know, because, and, and we'll talk about some of these things this morning, and, and, you know, and so it's important, though, for us, is to understand that shoes are important. You know, Max went out in the front yard the other day and went into our flower bed and stepped, walked in mulch, but he didn't have any shoes on. Well, he got his first splinter in his foot. 
So yesterday, I couldn't get our Friday. Actually, Friday, I couldn't get it out because he was squirming too much. And so I was just like, I'm not going to stab him with a needle. And, uh, you know, mistakenly, so I'm just going to wait. So I look at it the next day and, you know, and he actually came to me and was like, eh, like it's sore, you know. And so he sits down and I look at it and we finally got it out. Well, how did he know he had something in his foot? Because it hurt. Why did he get it? Because he went outside without some shoes on. Now, he's kind of country like that, and he likes walking around with no shoes. He gets that from his mama. I like shoes. Socks and shoes are my best friends, you know. I mean, I just, it's just me. And, uh, but he walked outside, and so what happened? There were repercussions for walking out there in the flower bed, you know. And so we were able to take care of that, but he had walked out and got hurt. Well, it's important that we understand this. And so, um, and now let me say this. One of the things, and we're going to get in more in depth in this, but I'm going to say it quickly, and by the end you'll understand why I say this, is that we have the peace of God, but, and this is why it's important, this is where the effectiveness of our authority and power in Christ come from. Your power as a believer, your authority as, as someone who is in Christ, stems from your level of peace. I'll give you an example, a natural example is, have you ever been around somebody who's just kind of, Losing their cool. They might be an authority. They may be the boss. They may be whatever. But they're frantic. And everybody around them is just looking at them going, you need to calm down. Why? Because in that moment they're rattled. Well, there's no real authority that can be given in that moment. You can bark orders, but nobody's signing up to follow. Like, uh... That's what makes people like generals and, you know, things, they're calm in the midst of war. You know, you see these old war movies and, you know, they're there and they're looking over the maps and they're trying to strategize and the lights are flickering and, you know, bombs are going off everywhere. And, they're, and everybody else may be looking kind of nervous, but that commanding officer is what? He's just focused and he's calm. Guys, the ship's going down. This is what we need to do. Lock this down. Do this. Do this. Do this. Let's maneuver. Let's do what we need to do. They're calm in the midst of the fight. That's important. Whether you're a husband, whether you're a wife, that's important in your home. You need to have some peace so that your kids don't pick up that, hey, things are going down. The ship's sinking, jump. (laughs) They need to be able to say, I don't know what's happening and I know things aren't good, but mom and dad, I'm going to follow them. I'm going to follow their lead because they are and they're watching and they're learning how you handle things. And it's important. And, and so it, it, even in that, and, and so we'll, look at, we'll get into that some more here in a little bit. But uh, one of the things that we have to know is that, you know, so many times we hear things about like peace. You know, and we'll look at a few verses here this morning together. And for some reason, anytime we talk about Jesus being peace loving, Jesus became wimpy. Like, and yet that's not the Jesus that I read about. Yeah, there's an element of him that he was gracious, but he was a carpenter. He was a roughneck. He was somebody who worked hard. He understood what that meant. He also, it doesn't say that Jesus is coming back with a parade of the angels. It says that he's going to come back in an array of battle form with a loud shout of victory. So he's not coming back saying, excuse me, excuse me, Can can I slip by? It's going to be get out my way. And he won't even have to say it. People will, whoo, hello. That, and that same is true for us. Now, I'm not talking about some uh, fake sense of confidence. I mean a true confidence in your heart is what we're talking about and a peace that comes from that. 
And so we're not called to be timid or we're not called to be wimpy. No, we're to be bold in understanding the tools that we have been given. You have tools. Your hands have been prepared and are being prepared for battle. And you have to realize this if you're going to be effective in your life. In Second uh, Timothy chapter uh, 1, verse 7 out of the Amplified Bible, it says, For God has not given us a spirit of, t- of timidity or of cowardice or fear, but He has given us a spirit of power and of love and of sound judgment and personal discipline. If you're going to walk in peace, you're going to have to have some discipline. I know that's not a popular word. It's just the truth. Part of what the Holy Spirit can do, and I've had this happen. I get frantic and he says, you need to calm down. Thanks a lot. Appreciate that. Why? Because in my mind, chaos is happening. I've had the Holy Spirit tell me to focus. Focus on your promise. Okay. Well, I have to give way to that. And I have to realize that's wisdom in that moment. So it says that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound judgment. It's personal discipline. I love how the Amplified adds this. It says, abilities that result in a calm and well-balanced mind and self-control. When I can learn by the help of the Holy Spirit to have personal discipline... And now I'm not talking about I get up at this time, I go to sleep at this time, I eat at this time. I don't. We're talking about discipline in our mind, discipline in our thoughts. You know, just as it says there in Ephesians, it says that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but we are in a fight. And it is much of that battle is mental. It's a warfare that he's waging against our thought life. So we don't fight. Let me say it this way. We don't fight a spiritual battle in the natural. It, it, no, it's a spiritual battle, and you fight a spiritual battle spiritually. That's important that we know this. So we have to have this self-discipline that First Timothy or Second Timothy talks about. Then it will—it's uh, that ability that will result in calm, well-balanced mind and self-discipline, self-discipline, self-control. We'll be able to to gather our emotions, to gather our faculties. You know, your emotions are a decision that you make. Now, I say that as somebody who's had to deal with my emotions. But I choose to get angry. I choose to worry. I choose to get stressed out. It's no different than I choose to love. It's an emotion. It's a decision that I make. It's, a, it's something that I allow myself to do. And yet here it says, hey, you, you need to, to grab hold of your thoughts. Proverbs chapter 28 verse 1 says, the, w- the wicked run away when no one is chasing them, but the godly are as bold as lions. Why would we be bold? Because we know that we're righteous. That creates boldness in, in our hearts and in our lives. And, and so, you know, let me give you an example of this. Um, and, and I know some of you will understand this, some of you won't, but you'll just have to trust me if you don't. But, you know, I, I grew up playing baseball. That's, that was my sport. I loved baseball. And I played from the time I was 14 until I graduated high school. And then I started playing softball. And, you know, I just, I love to play baseball. I love the game. I don't care to watch it so much, but I do like to play it. And, uh, you know, but one of the things about baseball that a lot of people don't realize is that when you get up to bat, that bat and even your upper body is not the most important part. The most important part when you're trying to swing a bat is your feet and your lower body. And here's why. 
Uh, <coughs> you know, one of the things about baseball, all of, when you go to swing a bat, the speed is generated from your hands. It's really more in your wrist than even your arms. So the speed of the bat is more this. It's a flick of your wrist more than it is like a full... Yeah, there's elements that are involved in that. That's where your speed comes from. But you can stand flat-footed and swing as hard as you want. And I've done it, just joking around, messing around. Sometimes we do it in baseball practice. Just stand there flat-footed and just try to swing. You might get the ball out of the infield. More than likely, you're going to swing hard enough and you're going to be sitting on your rear end because the momentum's going to carry you and you're going to go, and fall down. That was always funny. And uh, when people would do that. But something happens when you actually engage your lower body, especially your feet. You know that where you hit the ball is determined by your feet? If I want to hit it to right field, I step in a little bit and I hit it that way. If I want to go to the left, I step out and pull. The power to hit a home run is not in my arms, not in my upper body at all. It's completely in my lower body. And so all that power is generated by a little step forward. That little motion is where all the power... Because you don't have to take a big step. But there's a transfer of power. And when you do it right, that power actually... I mean, I've actually looked into it scientifically. And they can show you the energy coming from your heels, coming up, and it actually explodes on the end of that bat. And that's what makes great home run hitters great. They know how to transfer power quickly. But the strength's not in their hands. It's not because they have big muscular bodies necessarily. But you look at their lower bodies. I've never seen a home run hitter who had little wimpy legs. Most time they are, they've got some tree trunks. You know what I'm saying? I mean, they, and that's where all that power comes from. Well, relate that to what we're talking about this morning. Peace. And, you know, and Paul is talking about a soldier. So he's talking, and, and the people that he was talking to understood Roman soldiers. Why? Because they saw them all the time. They saw, you know, so they knew their attire. The Romans were known for marching. They were known, even when they walked, you could hear them coming. Like they didn't get out of the way of anybody, and they didn't stop for anybody. They would just walk right over you if you didn't get out the way. They were known for this. And, and so, you know, there's some things that, um, you know, that we have to know. So let me give you a couple things here uh, from, for some context. Here where it talks about shoes, and I already shared this, is that it covered the shins, the calves, and went all the way down to cover the tops of their feet, their heels, and it even covered the soles of their feet. Now here's something kind of interesting. On the top side, it was actually, as I said a few minutes ago, it was leather, but they had brass plates over the top of it. So think like armadillo, like stacked plates over their feet. And then it came down to a leather sole, so it protected every part. Why? Because, you know, like I said about Max, he got a splinter. If you've ever hurt your foot or even gotten a blister, like think about that. You ever gotten a blister on the bottom of your foot because you didn't take care of your feet or whatever it was? I've done that playing basketball and, you know, didn't change my socks. And so I stayed in sweaty socks and wore a big old blister and then tried to come back and play basketball the next day. That's a lot of pain. And when you're in war, you don't have time to be worried about something like your feet. You know, even our military. You know, in basic, one of the things that they teach you, always have an extra pair of socks. More than your boots, more than anything. You always, you actually get in a lot of trouble for not having your socks. They'll come around and ask, say, where's your socks? And they're not talking about like the one, they're right here. That's not what he's talking about. He wants to know where your extra socks why? Because they realize a soldier who can't walk isn't a soldier. 
He's a liability. And so, you know, here, and, and this is part of what made the Romans so great, was they had figured out how to keep not only their troops up, but agile. They, they changed the way warfare was done. And much of it had to do, and much of their armor, and that's why Paul was talking about it, is because it changed, really, all warfare. And it's the reason that the Romans spread so fast, and they were so dominant. They were ruthless. You know, and so even with their shoes, you know, the closest thing that we could uh, relay it to today was they wore cleats. They actually took nails and would stab them through the bottom of the leather. They would actually, and would so point down. So it gave them traction, much like we have today, whether you play soccer, baseball, football, anything on a field, you're going to wear cleats. Why? Because it gives you traction to maneuver. Well, what if you're fighting somebody who's barefooted and you're, you know, and you've got the ability to maneuver and they don't? You're probably going to win. Why? Because, you know, it's like the old Muhammad Ali, you can't hit what you can't see. You know? Why? Because they can move out the way and get out of the way. And then they, were, they were dominant in their ability. And so, um, you know, so uh, some of these spikes were anywhere from an inch to three inches long. They were actually gentlemen who wore long spikes for one specific purpose, to walk around and step on people. They could fight and kill two at one. As I said, they were brutal people as far as their tactics. The tops of their feet had knobs, like brass knobs, that when they would kick, just brutal. So not only were they fighting, so when we read this, we think, oh, well, you know, we're just protecting our feet. No, their feet were weapons. Think MMA fighters, like just deadly. Why? Because what would happen? If you had to bend down in the midst of a fight to try to annihilate somebody, guess what? You're going to get a knife in the back. You're going to get it. Why? Because you're exposed. This way, they didn't even have to bend down. They could sit there and fight. And... That's why when they would march, you could hear them coming. Because it had a sound to it. So it served multiple purposes for the soldiers. It kept them with their footing. It gave them solid ground to fight on, but it also was a weapon. You know, peace can be a weapon. Because if the enemy can get you rattled, he's already got the advantage. But if he can't get you rattled, you're in the advantage. You've got the leg up. There's a commentator named Alex... Albert Barnes, and he said this concerning this about the preparation of the gospel. He says, uh, one part of his dress or preparation consisted of covering and the defense of his foot. It was to preserve the foot from danger and to secure uh, the facility of his march and perhaps to even uh, make him firm in battle. It says, the principles of the gospel were to do for them, or the principles of the gospel were to do for them what the, um, they call these the greaves and the iron spiked sandals talking about us, is that the the gospel is supposed to do for us exactly what their armor did for them. And that's true. When when we understand what he's talking about and what he's really explaining to us and how it works in our life, we understand that, hey, we have been armed. God has given us tools. The problem is we just don't see them as tools. We think peace and we're like, oh, well, they're wimpy. We'll look at this verse here in a few minutes, but the verse in in, um, Matthew 5 where Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers. Immediately, my thought and some of your thoughts probably go to like the UN with their little blue hat and they, they're the peacekeepers. 
Not really. They do a lot of humanitarian things, but they don't maintain peace and they don't make peace. Neither one. They claim to, but they don't. When they need peace, they call us. They call the Marines. They call the special ops. They, you know, they, they call in all these... Why? Because there's an offensive side to keep and maintain peace. If we could have peace through conversation, we would. People have been talking for thousands of years and they've never settled anything. Peace agreements last until somebody gets mad. That's not a political statement. It's just go read history. I, I love history. Go read history. We had a peace agreement, but I got ticked off and decided I didn't want to honor that anymore, so I went and killed some people. That's history. And then war breaks out. Why? Because somebody violated their agreement. See, we have to understand that we are in a battle. One of the things that made the Romans so great and different was they went against all conventional wisdom as far as military. One of the things that, like the Persians and the Medes and all these previous, um, really, uh, generations and and these, uh, whatever you want to call it, you know, empires previously, their thought was to have massive militaries. So, you know, I mean, and actually we still, we, much of our nation actually is modeled after the Roman Empire. I don't know if you realize that. I'll, I'll give you a couple of examples. One of the things is our military. We have a small but elite force. I mean, we have about a million to a million and a half, I think it's closer to a million servicemen right now. China has 200 million. But our technology and our equipping of our soldiers is second to none. That's what makes us elite. We're very mobile, very quick. We can be in and out and you never even know we were there. We can do more with a group of 6 and 12 special forces than many people can do with tens of thousands of troops. Now, you know, it's just a fact. I'm not But it's just but we got all that from the Romans. Because one of the things now this might shock you. You know the interstates in our nation? Did you know they could be shut down at a moment's notice to public use? They actually belong to the military. How many of you realize that? I-20, you could have no access to. That's why we have highways that follow alongside of them that are for public use. But in a time of war, the interstate system can be completely shut down to be used. Why? So we can move weaponry from Barksdale to anywhere in the nation on the ground. We can move troops instantly. That was a Roman idea. That's part of what they did was they had developed a system. And so that what they said was, we're going to have a smaller elite force of troops that we can mobilize anywhere we need to quickly. And that's how they grew their empire. They didn't have these massive, you know, troops. They had very skilled, highly trained, very well-equipped troops. And it worked very well. That's, I mean, they're still considered to be one of the greatest um, empires. <clears throat> now, they were ruthless. They ruled with an iron fist. But, you know, as far as how they did what they did... We actually use much of it in our nation today, um, you know, and so there are things like that. And so, but I say all that to say this is that even Paul says, hey, as a believer, we have weapons. They're not carnal. They're not natural. They, you know, and so here, I mean, so let me say this is that the Romans were this as far as their military strategy. They were agile. They were fully equipped and they were highly trained. God has, it has created the ability for us to be the same. That we can be light on our feet, that we are fully equipped, and we can be highly trained. Now, the word shod here, where it talks about that we have the, the piece is shod, it simply means to bind firmly, to tie it up uh, very tightly to your foot. Why? Because a loose shoe gets you hurt. 
When you go play, you know, a sport, you, they tell you, tie your shoes. My, every coach, tie your shoes, tie your shoes, tie them tight, get them tight. Don't have, let them loose. Why? Because that's how you roll an ankle. That's how you get hurt, and, you know, this and that, especially if you're wearing cleats because your cleat will grab and your ankle will keep going. <laughs> that's how you get sprained ankles, broke ankles, all that kind of... Why? Because the shoes were loose. So let me give it to you in a more modern translation. No flip-flops on the battlefield. The battlefield is not made for flip-flops. The beach is, right? But you don't want to have flip-flops. And so what's he saying? Is you better hold tight to some peace. Don't let it go and don't hold it loosely. You hold and you make it a priority. Why? Because that's where everything flows out of. Uh, Colossians chapter 3 verse 15. I got to hurry up. I got too much to share and not enough time. I'm going to start, have to, you're going to have to come back and listen. I'm going to start talking faster. Colossians 3, verse 15. He says, let the peace of God, this is how they amplified, let the peace of God, the inner calm of one who walks daily with him. If you're going to have peace, you're going to have to walk with the Lord on a consistent basis. He says, so let the peace of Christ be the controlling factor in your heart. Let peace dominate. I taught a couple Wednesdays ago, several Wednesdays about uh, guarded by peace. You can go and listen, if you would like, on the podcast. It's up there. Um, but let peace be the controlling factor in your heart, deciding and settling questions that arise. Like, well, you know, and this is just a practical nugget for you. If you're praying about something and you don't know what to do, here's my advice. Follow peace. Like, well, how do you know? You may not know when peace is there, but you know when it's not. If you start moving in a direction... Should I do this and you get an uneasiness? You need to take a step back. You know, you get a new job opportunity. Should I take this job? Go look at it. Why not? But when you get there, if there's something in your heart that's kind of like, mm, there's something just doesn't, you know, we would say, this, something just doesn't feel right. Well, then you need to, and we're not led by our emotions. So I'm not talking about just in a natural sense, but that may be the Holy Spirit saying, nope. It's just not, it's not time. And it may not be that it's a wrong thing. It may just not be the right time. Should I do this? Should I do that? Should I buy this house? Should I go here? Should I do that? Pray about it and get some peace. He says, let peace be the controlling factor in your heart, deciding and settling questions that arise. He says, to this peace, indeed, you were called. Did you know you were called to live in peace as a believer in Christ? God did not design us or desire for us to live in chaos. You are called to live in peace as members in one body of believers. And he says, and be thankful to God always. Here's the thing about peace is that it's not passive. It's not going to fall on you. Passivity can never bring about peace. If you've got an issue in your marriage, you can't sweep it under the rug hoping it will go away. It will come back up and the devil will see to it at the most opportune time where it has maximum damage. Issues, underlying issues like that are grenades waiting to go off. They're like an IED. You know what that is, right? A roadside bomb. They're just sitting there waiting for a moment and the enemy's just waiting, just waiting. And so you let those things sit and you let them fit. Guess what? Oh, we're just not going to have that conversation. Me and Dara have difficult conversations. Why? Because we want to deal with stuff. You said this, and that hurt my feelings. 
you did this and this is what it said to me and I didn't appreciate that. That's not a fun conversation. I mean, many times we'll do it as we drive down the road. We'll have conversations. It's just, how, how are things? Just honest. Then it, it can be uncomfortable. Because it's just, I'm not going to accuse her. She gets to voice her concerns or her whatever it may be. I get to voice it without any defensiveness from either side. Now, it's taken us years to learn how to do this. It's not personal. Because I want to be like a lawyer and I want to state my case, dang it. <laughs> but I can't. But, but I have to be willing to give her the space to speak openly with me. Why? And she has to know that she can trust me, that I'm not going to get defensive and come back at her and be like, well, you're stupid. That ain't going to work. I mean, it's not loving my wife well, for one. But it's also not... But And this is what many people think. Well, if we just sweep these things under the rug, we're keeping peace. You're not called to be peacekeepers. You're called to be peacemakers. There's a difference. There's a big difference. And we have to be intentional... About this. So passivity and just kind of saying, well, it'll go. No, that's not at all. I mean, here in Colossians chapter 3, I think I just read this, didn't I? Yeah, I did. It says that we have to let peace be the controlling factor. The thing about this word here is that it's, a, um, it's peace that prevails. In other words, it conquers. It's a conquering peace. It's not just, well, I'm going to sit back and wait. It's, no, I'm going to go make some peace. It, it, let me say it this way. It's peace that has a fighting spirit about it. I love you enough to leave you. To leave you like this. To let this circumstance to, to give room for the enemy. I'm going to make sure we shut the back door to the enemy. So that when he comes, that door's closed. And we're going to make sure there's nothing between me and you. Because we're in this for the long haul. And so I'm going to be intentional about that in my marriage. And so, hey, if there's issues, we're going to talk about it. And it may not be today. I know, you know, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. I'll let the Holy Spirit deal with you on that. But sometimes, I mean, we try to apply that principle. But there's days. Can we talk about this? Nope. Not today. We can talk about it, but we... Strap on your boots, girl. We about to go. <laughs> like, not today. We will talk about it. But I'm not where I need to be. And it could be the reverse. Hey, I'm calm. You want to have this conversation? Nope. Come on, let's just talk about it. Get over. I said no. I'm going to go find myself something else to do. Surely there's something... But see, there's intention to the peace. It's not just, well, it'll, you know. Let me say this. You don't get peace by allowing conflict to just kind of sit. You've got to deal with the conflict. I say it this way. You've got to be willing to have the hard conversation sometimes. And that's not just in your relationship. I mean, that might be with a coworker, a boss. I mean, hey, we need to sit down and talk. There's some issues here, and I don't want to work in, a, in an environment that's not peaceful. So we got to talk. We got to come to some resolve here. And if I can't settle it with me and you, then we got to go talk to the boss man or something. But we got to figure this out because I don't. I'm not going to put myself in an environment that's not peaceful. Why? Because when I'm not at peace, the enemy is getting an advantage, and I don't want him to have an advantage. Matthew chapter five, verse nine, out of the Amplified Bible as well. Jesus speaking and says, "Blessed." 
I love how the Amplified adds all these little things, but he says, spiritually calm with life joy in God's favor. That's what blessed means. Uh, define it. It says, are the makers and the maintainers of peace. This is the same verse where it says, blessed are the peacemakers. The Amplified says, blessed are the makers and maintainers of peace. You know, maintaining is a lot of work. I don't know if you realize that. I'm sure you probably do, but have you ever like built something and you're like, oh, that was pretty easy to build. And then you have to maintain it and you're like, oh my gosh, this is a lot of work. You get married in a moment, but it takes a lifetime to build a marriage. It just does. It it just does. And so you have to be not just a maker of peace. You know, when you first get married, it's just, oh, everything's great and just everything's so lovely and wonderful. And then the honeymoon's over and all of a sudden it's like, oh, shoot. God sent you to me as a gift to rub off all of my rough spots. Praise the Lord. We got some work to do. It says, blessed are the makers and the maintainers of peace, for they will experience his character and be called sons of God. When we make peace, we are like God. God made peace with us through Christ. See, Paul associates here, even, and so we understand that, look, you can't be passive, you can't be laid back. You've got to be intentional about this peace. Paul associates the uh, shoes of the Roman soldier as weapons of war. And their shoes were anything but peaceful. That's, that's really the, why it matters. Because it's like, oh, well, you know, you've got to have the preparation of the gospel of peace. And so we're nice and we're kind and we're sweet people. The ultimate call of Jesus was, yes, to buy men back. But it was to crush the head of Satan. It says, with his heel, he will crush your head. Well, we are called to fight. We're called to, to stand in, on the gospel, on the word of God. And it is part of our weaponry. Even the shoes that we have. And so, you know, I've said this a couple different ways. But uh, in order for us to have peace in our mind, there will be a fight. Let me say this. Let me add this in, though. If you worry, you won't have the peace of God. It's a decision you make. What is worry? Ultimately, it's you resorting to you to fix your problems. That's what worry is. When I pray, I'm saying, I can't fix my problems. God, I need help. I'm acknowledging my need of Him. And so, but if I worry, I'm choosing worry. That's a decision I make. I mean, worry is a thought, but it's also, uh, a, um, it, it is an emotion. And some people live an entire life worried. Worried about this, worried about this, worried about that. You're worrying about something that may not even happen. I've had to deal with this in my own heart. Just realizing, look, I don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. I'm going to do what I can for today, and I'm going to trust God. And when tomorrow gets here, God's going to be there with me. Wherever I find myself, he's going to be there too. So he said he'd never leave me. He'll never say, I don't need to worry about tomorrow. Now, I mean, there's planning. And yet I'm not against all those things, but I'm not going to worry about tomorrow. Right there in... Um, Matthew 5, Matthew 6, Jesus says, hey, why do you even worry about tomorrow? Today has enough cares for today. Don't get so concerned about worrying about tomorrow that you're not even here in the now. Philippians chapter 4, verse 7. Well, verse 6, he says, don't worry about anything. Like, well, I can't help but worry. Well, the Bible says don't. Stop it. Sometimes you need to tell yourself, stop it. It says, instead, pray about everything. 
So don't just stop worrying. Do something else. Pray. It says, tell God what you need and thank Him for it. In verse 7, it says, when you pray, when you cast your care upon the Lord, verse 7 says, then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything that we can understand. His peace will guard our hearts and our minds as we live in Christ. Now, this word here, um, peace, is, uh, I believe I'm going to say this right, it's terero in the Greek, and it says, it means to, to keep, to guard, or to garrison. Think of it this way, it's like having a bodyguard. And there's a reason that people have bodyguards. I don't have a bodyguard. Why? Because I'm not in a place of authority. But if I got elected as the governor of this state, I would have people who would guard me and protect me. Why? Not so much because of who I am, but because of the position that I hold. Why? Because it's a position of authority. Here it says that peace will be like a bodyguard to guard my thoughts, to guard my heart. Why? To protect me. Why? Because I have a place of authority. You have a place of authority in your life. I mean, you know, we don't give bodyguards to janitors. No disrespect. But why? Janitors are an important position. I like a clean bathroom. Very important. I like, I mean, I like order and things clean. That's important. But that's not a seat of authority. We have a seat of authority. Remember earlier when I shared with you the statement when I said the second aspect is that we have the peace of God. And this is uh, the effectiveness of where our authority and our power come from. The level of your peace has everything to do with how willing the enemy is to listen to you. If you're frantic. Now look, I understand. I've had times that I was praying prayers through tears. So I'm not like. A robot who has no emotion. Some of you may think that, but I do have emotions. And I do have feelings. And I, I, I experience life like everybody else. I mean, I remember specifically the instance I'm referring to is when Max fell off of our countertop and smacked his head on the ground. And I watched him put him in a helicopter. And I'm driving like an idiot to Little Rock. And I'm on the phone calling my pastor. And I'm praying. And I'm crying. Why? Because my boy is on a helicopter and I have no idea what's going on. But I can tell you this, I had peace. So just because in that moment, I'm reacting to a moment, there's still peace in my heart. I said, God, you have this. I don't know what's going on and I don't need to know what's going on because I trust you. And I say that his health springs forth speed. I say that any bleeding has to stop. That's what they told me. They said, you don't want him here. They said, we can't, if, 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 if this bleeding would continue in his brain. He was nine months old. Talk about helpless as a parent. I prayed the whole way to Little Rock. Mostly in the Holy Spirit. Well, I didn't know what to pray. I prayed everything I knew to pray. I said every verse I knew to say. I just After a while, you just run out of stuff to say. Like, Lord, I don't know what else to pray. I'm just start praying in the Holy Spirit. They got there about 30 minutes before I did. I walk in the room. He's in his little gown. He looks at me and smiles. You know, he's loving it. All this attention is great, you know. We went home the next day. It was actually the Friday before Easter. We went home at 5 o'clock the next day. Almost 24 hours from, you know, a little over 24 hours. Perfectly fine. But that's where life gets real. And that's where you have to guard your thoughts. What if, what if, what if? No, my promise is this. 
My promise is that my God will answer them. My promise is that my God works for me. My promise is that God is on my side, that he's working ahead of time before I even know what to do. And I thank you that, that, the, that the peace of God guards my heart and guards my mind right now. That I will not give into thoughts of what if. No, I'm going to give into the thoughts that are based on the word of God. That's my bodyguard. That's my promise. See, when you let go of your peace, you let go of your authority. It's just, it's just true. Devil, leave me alone, please. Just it's like you're yelling, stop it, and running away. You know how you deal with a Goliath? You run at him. David didn't step back and say, go away. He stepped onto that field and said, today, I'm going to kill you. Was a, a, you know, the thing is about peace is that it brings confidence. And this is what I believe happens. That when we maintain our peace and the devil attacks and we stand there and we stare him down, say, devil, you picked the wrong day today. You're not going to rattle me and I'm not going to cave. Today is your day. You're going to get beat down. And I start to declare the word of God. And that begins to, to bring about a confidence. The devil's going to keep taking a step back and a step back and just realize, oh, I done picked the wrong day come back. That's okay. I'm ready. I understand what he's trying to do. But I'm ready for the moment. And even if I'm not, I'll get ready real quick. Because I'm not going to give in to worry. I wasn't ready for Max to fall that day. I got ready in about two minutes. I'm not going to let my mind go crazy. that last statement and we'll, we'll close this morning now when I originally wrote this statement I wrote it like this is that if you lose your or if you if you lose your peace you let go of your authority that's the way I originally wrote it I rewrote it this morning this way is that if you let go of your peace you let go of your authority because you don't lose it you let it go peace is something to be defended in our life we can, I mean, the enemy, you know, I mean, well, I mean, just practically speaking, to lose it means you've lost it. The enemy came and stole it. Can the enemy steal your salvation? Can you walk away from your salvation? Can you stop living in a way that would honor the Lord? Well, he can't take your peace. He can try, but he can't take it can let it go but just know when you hold on to your peace you also hold on to that authority that's why this is so important it's a weapon in our arsenal that gives us confidence to stand and say nope not today I've got a promise I've got people praying with me I've got people believing with me and my God is the one who answers my God is the one who works so when we stay in that place of peace we will see the enemy will lose ground and God will work. And just as I said earlier, it would be like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I walked through the fire, but now I don't even smell like smoke. And now I've got a testimony about the faithfulness of God. Devil, you tried to get me, and now I'm going to crush your head with what God did through it. I'm not rattled by what the devil tries to do, but my confidence is in the Lord.